0: All right, so if you've been doing marketing for a while, actually, it doesn't even matter if you've been doing it for a while, for a week or a decade, you know that Google Analytics just becomes like the bane of any marketing team's existence. It's a necessary evil. Something always breaks, or it's not right, or you got to find a developer to help you set it up. And I looked it up because I wanted to mention it for this, but Google Analytics launched in November. 2005, 16 years ago. And yet it's still the thing that most marketing teams uh, obsess over and get stuck with so much. But there's a better way. And that way is called Aribi. It's a awesome new company, Aribi.io. They got customers like Sony, Pizza Hut, Audi, Panasonic, and Sky. So what they do is really cool. They automatically capture every activity on your website. So imagine someone visits your blog. Oh, nope, didn't have to set up a tag for that. It just automatically captured. Someone visit your pricing page. Somebody did something on your website. You didn't have to go and set that up in advance, which is always the thing that drives me nuts. Ah, oh, we didn't have a goal set up for that. They'll automatically capture everything that's happening on your your website. And you can do it all without a developer. That is the selling point for me to not have to always beg my friends on the product team to do drug deals and get this stuff over the line. Once you connect your site, you can just start capturing everything your website visitors do. And you can even ask questions like, hey, do people are people who read our blog, are they more likely to buy than other people? Or people who visit my pricing page, are they more likely to convert than somebody else. It's awesome, and you should totally check it out. And they're hooking you up with a great little discount, 20% off any plan. But most importantly, like to me, marketing is about simplifying the decision-making process. And if you can have someone that works 24-7 like an analyst on your team for you, which is what Aribi does, it's gonna give you a huge benefit. So you can go and check it out, aribi.io slash DGMG, and you can start a free trial. And if you use the coupon code DGMG, you'll get 20% off any plan. I'm launching a new site, dgmg.co, in a couple weeks, and I'll be using Aribi to track everything that I do. And I think you should go and check it out. So aribi.io slash DGMG. Go and check it out, and hopefully you can say goodbye to Google Analytics. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do, and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me, and I know they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. This is the place where I share B2B marketing lessons and learnings every week. My guest on this episode is Robin Daniels. He's the CMO at Matterport. Okay. All right, Robin. So I'm going to grill you on this episode. People have been like, when are you going to bring the CMOs back? And I've got the CMOs coming. Don't you worry about it. So Robin's one of them. But first, before I go into my 15 questions, I'm going to ask you, give me a quick background for people who don't know you on your role today and and how you got there and what you've been doing from a marketing perspective.
1: Yeah. You caught me at a good time actually, because it's my one year anniversary at Matterport. You know, I joined actually at the end of March last year. So I joined during the pandemic. I'm the CMO at Matterport. We are a fast growth, company that's really focused on indexing the built world using spatial and 3D technology. Super exciting. We just announced that we're going public about a month ago, which is super cool. And it's just been a wild ride. So I joined remotely a year ago. Now i remote times remote, as I like to say, because actually I started in California and now I just moved to Denmark about six months ago.
0: You were going to be in the office. But what happened first? The company going remote or you starting?
1: No, so a company going remote happened first, and then I joined. So everything so, locked down. I think it was March 16th, and then right. I joined on the 23rd. And so were you already,
0: like, talking to them during this and kind of, like, hedging? No. Like what's going to happen?
1: Well, I mean, so, so I'll tell you. So I, you know, I used to be the CMO at WeWork, which is a whole different story. We can, we can chat about it a little bit as well. I left in November of 2019, and I decided to just take some time off. And I was speaking to a bunch of companies about various roles. And one of them I, I met with was Matterport. And I just loved the CEO. I love what the company was doing. I love the vision. And we were chatting for a while. We first met in November, then December, then January, February, and started meeting more and more people in the team. And we finally said in February, do you want to make this happen or not? And we started negotiating. But that was before the pandemic. And then when I finally accepted, everything had changed. It's like, well, we want you to come on board, but there's not going to be an office to go to. It's, it's a weirdest start, man. It really was.
0: Wait, okay. So I, I had a bunch of follow-ups, but just quickly, just I want people to know. So, so... CMO at Matterport, before this, you were CMO at WeWork, took a little bit of time, like six months-ish off. What did you do before WeWork?
1: Before WeWork, I was at LinkedIn. Before then, I was the CMO of a small cybersecurity company called Vera. Beforehand, I was the head of enterprise marketing over at Box. And beforehand, I was at Salesforce. I was leading one of their product lines called Chatter. I'm part of that Salesforce mafia, you know, that have all graduated, that some of the best CMOs that I know, Twilio, Slack, ThoughtSpot, Asana, you name know, they all came from there. And beforehand, it was just a bunch of like enterprise companies. It's about two, two plus decades in the enterprise space, is what I've been doing.
0: Great. So if you're listening, if you're in B2B marketing, this is the perfect background to learn something from. So we'll try to give you some value today. I have questions that I want to ask you, but I'm also just going to riff on stuff because I want to have a conversation. Yeah. So let's first talk about this remote thing. You and I were just talking about this before. So you yeah. took the job remotely. What's it been like running a remote marketing team? You're about to go public, yeah. all this stuff. Like what's changed? What assumptions have been challenged? And, and, you know, if you could talk about how you run the team remotely, I think that'd be great. Sure,
1: sure. So honestly, if you had asked me a year and a half ago, could you do all the things that I've done in the last year, remotely i would have said there's no way you have to be in the same room you have to be at headquarters you have to all be connected in person and all these biases i would say i had all these assumptions have come down you know i joined remotely so it has been harder to build the relationships remotely. It's not that it's impossible; it just takes longer because you're not be you're not able to say, "Hey, let's go for a walk and chat things too." Let's go for a coffee, lunch, whatever it is. So those are taking a little bit longer. But from a productivity perspective, you're cutting out all the BS that that comes from like that gets in the way of productivity. True. And I also think what's great about this this way of working is it provides equal access for everyone. There's no more an inequality in terms of how people are communicating. When I was at WeWork, I'll tell you. So, I was based in California, but we worked with a New York based company. And you had very senior, very executive, very intense meetings all happening in New York. And I was a lone person sitting in California trying to communicate through Zoom. There's no way I could be effective. A lot of these meetings were just honestly useless. So, I ended up traveling every week more or less to New York City because I felt like I had to be in the room because else you couldn't be effective, right?
0: Were you taking the red eye from yes. San Francisco?
1: Oh, it, it, I will that. tell you. It, Kill me. By July of 2019, I'd already raked up over 200 nights in hotels by July. (laughs) It was crazy. It's not something to be proud of. But I felt like I had to be there because we were about to take the company public, right? Totally. So this has all changed. You know, the beauty of I mean, Zoom fatigue is real. Sitting on Zoom 10 hours a day is rough, really rough. But the beauty of it is it creates an equal opportunity for everyone to have a say in things. You don't have people (laughs) who dominate meetings in the same way. And, you know, I'm an extrovert, so I tend to do that sometimes. I need to actually communicate and really listen to my employees in a much more healthy way. So I, I think, think that can they, be hard.
0: I feel like I do sometimes dominate meetings via Zoom only because, <laughs> and nobody <laughs> wants to hear Nobody wants to hear the manager complain about how hard their job is because it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But like presenting into the black hole, I do miss the like yes. Yes. and the way that I am is a very creative, energetic. I want to come yeah. in the room and get you fired up about something, and we're going to lay this <laughs> out. And you know when you just everyone's on mute. And on Zoom, you just see heads nodding. It just like, it doesn't hit sure. the same. So I do, I do miss no, that piece it of it.
1: So I think, you know, when I'm doing a meeting with my leads, we're like, you know, small leads team. We're like five, six people, right? It's great. We have very active discussions. Everyone chimes yeah. in. But you're right. When, when we, it's the whole marketing team, and we don't have a big marketing team, we have just over 20 people. A lot of times it's very quiet. I do tend to end up speaking the most because, you know, when you ask, so who has anybody, anything to say is oftentimes super quiet. So you just have to respect that, and what I found effective, honestly, is you break into smaller groups. Zoom has this great feature where you say, let's break into smaller groups and discuss about a topic. And those are effective. Trying to have a group discussion once you reach over five people, very tough to do, I think.
0: That's cool. I didn't know that or have done that. How does that come up in a meeting? Like, will you actually plant a, we want to have a team discussion about X and then you'll plant that and you'll run that meeting?
1: Correct. So what we normally do is we say, okay, we want to talk about this. We want to have some creative Jam session brainstorming on a certain topic. Let's break for five to ten, maybe 15 minutes because we try to keep it short and focused. And then there's a button in Zoom where you say breakout room, and it can be either random, so it just takes the 20 people and puts them into random groups, or you can say, I'm going to actually put people into groups because you don't want to actually always have the same people in a group because then you also have people who dominate, of course. So you're trying to mix it up, which is super effective. But I'm with you. I mean, I miss people. I can't wait to be in the same room. We're not going to go away from having office. I think this notion of the office is dead that I see so much written about. I'm like, this is BS. Because you know why the office is dead? Because we had no choice. Yeah. It's not like we suddenly said, this is great. Let's go wrong. We, we were forced to. I and mean, I'm glad we had the technology to continue working or else the world would have cratered. But people are social. They can't wait to get back in the same room to share that energy that's so important. The creative
0: spark. How have you built a relationship? So we'll talk more about your team in a little bit. But yeah. how have you built a relationship with the CEO of the company. Because I think one thing that I talk about a lot is, you know, life's too short to work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing. And I think of, at least at my last two companies, I've only been a marketing leader twice at Privy and and at Drift. And Mm -hmm. at Drift had a great relationship with the CEO. And that was so much was based on in person, not scheduled. Like we sat next to each other for four years. (laughs) And it would be like, do you want to go get a coffee? Or going to get a coffee or like, literally this would happen all the time. We would just going for a walk. Next thing I know, yes, we exactly. sp- spent two hours walking around Boston. And he's like, sorry, I made you miss all your meetings, but like, we got to talk. And that was such a huge part of building that company. And at Privy, I already knew the CEO really well and had a good relationship and our personal friends and texting in that capacity. So just curious as like a new CEO, how did you go in? And I know you believe in that philosophy that I talk about, like, how did you build that relationship?
1: I would say, like any relationship, it takes time. Anybody who thinks it will happen quickly is just delusional, I would say. I had the benefit that I actually met the CEO first, and I think it was first November or, or December. And then we met a few times to really connect. And I think that gave us a good foundation to work off of. But then, of course, when I started, we were all remote. So we, I have not, since I joined the company, spent True. any single time with them in any room. So it's been a little odd. And now I'm in a time zone that's nine hours different, which is also a little odd the best moments that we have is when we're actually connecting in an unplanned way. So when we're actually like, Hey, I have something we need to chat about. Can we just connect today? And then we just end up calling each other on zoom or Slack or just honestly a good old fashioned phone call. Those are the the best moments when it's very like formal. I feel like it's it's nearly like sitting in a conference room. You, you, You said it well, it's much better I can tell. When you, Dave, is going for a walk with the CEO and having coffee and riffing on things, which is kind of like what the phone call is, versus you going into a conference room with your CEO yes. saying, let's sit down and talk about X, Y, Z. It's not the same. If you want to really like get to inside the mind of your CEO, you gotta do those moments. And you know, my CEO at, at, at Matterport is very different than the last CEO I had. I used to report to Adam Newman, who was crazy creative, but didn't really understand like the nuances of what marketing looks like. Versus somebody like RJ, who came from Google, Apple, eBay, and has seen some of the best marketing in the world, and is always pushing me in like, what we should be doing better, because he has a real good point of view on it. Very different. So you have to learn the mental model of your CEO. And I feel like after a year now, we're starting to really finally speak the same language about what great marketing looks like. Human, emotional, but supported by real, you know, real facts. And it's not just BS. We don't want to just say things that are not true. Now, we're very aligned on those kind of things.
0: And how important, as a kind of proven marketing exec, mm-hmm. how important was CEO fit to you in taking, like when you're back in November mm-hmm. looking for your next yeah, thing, yeah. Yeah. how important was, obviously the product is one thing, but like, can you talk about how the CEO fit played into your decision?
1: Honestly, it's the first thing I think about. Let's pause on that for a second.
0: I'm talking to everybody who's listening now. Robin thought yeah. of that first. This is why I say <laughs> this, because <laughs> yes. look, nobody wants to believe this, but here is the truth. All of us want to make money, all of us want to keep our jobs, all of us want to get promoted. And a lot of times, even though you want to be holier than thou and do all the right things in marketing, the best thing you can do in marketing as a marketing leader or marketing person is to make your boss happy, period. And that's true for any role. And the quicker you can understand that, the easier your life is going to be. And so I love that you thought CEO first. Okay, if that box is checked, then let's also look for a great product. All right, I'll shut up and let you continue that thought. But it's so fucking important. I love that you- No,
1: I think you said it so well. I mean, and I have changed my mind over time as I've gotten older. It used to be much more about the product. And of course, like the cool culture I felt and the vibe when I came into an office and all those things. But as I've gotten older, the boss and the team is everything. It's everything. everything. No, I don't wake up every day thinking about how much money I'm making. I don't wake up thinking about how much stock I have. You know, And of course, I have to like the product. I'm in marketing, so I have to like the product. If I don't like the product, it's really fucking impossible to, to market that right. really well. So I have right. to like that. That's a given. But you know what? When I left, I was about to say, I had a spreadsheet of all the companies I talked to. And it was close to 100 companies. Some of them were just casual conversations. Some of them were a little bit deeper. And you know, honestly, a lot of them had cool technology. So that wasn't just the gating factor. It wasn't just like, oh, did I love the technology? It was all about, do I have a connection with the CEO? And one of the things that the CEO did that I think was so awesome is he got marketing. Which is super important. He really yeah. valued the fact that he invested so much time in, in spending with me, was great. Number two is from day one, he said, we're gonna be a global company. Cause I mentioned to him at one point we might wanna move to Denmark. He said, I don't care where you are. We're gonna be a global company. Like that's amazing vision. And then when he shared the vision of what the company could be, because he's new to the company as well. He didn't found the company. came in two years ago. When he told me about the vision, so he had vision, he had humanity, he understood marketing. I could just tell he was going to be a great partner. We instantly hit it off, instantly hit it off.
0: One question, how do you, I can't do it, so maybe you can. How do you articulate, a lot of people ask me, well, Dave, what do you mean when you say he understands marketing?
1: (laughs) It's a good question. I would say he understands marketing because he has seen what good marketing looks like and he has a point of view on what good marketing is. Like. It's the worst when you come in and somebody is just like, they don't really know what good looks like. And they don't have a view because it makes it very hard to know if you're going in the right direction. And then you oftentimes put out stuff into the world. And then afterwards, you get told, oh, I didn't really like it, but you didn't give me a point of view on it. I'd rather have a partner in crime, honestly, who has a strong point of view on marketing. And so having somebody who admits that they don't know everything, they have some creative power, but they also are very data-driven, I think is, to me, like the perfect combo. I've worked for people who are super data-driven, and I think it gets a little too boring because you lose some of the humanity. You know, I think some of the CEOs that I've seen in the past are like, All about show me the data and like, well, then you lose some of the edginess. And if it's all about the humanity and all about just you know being as quirky and as weird as possible, then sometimes you miss actually exactly the right target. So it has to be a little bit of both. I'm much more on the emotional side than the data-driven side on when it comes to high-level marketing, but you have to have a CEO understands the levers of both. So what I said to him, I said, Hey, one of the things I believe in is we are talking way too much about ourselves. We're talking about how great Matterport is, how great our technology is. Let's talk about how great our customers are and how much value they're finding from using our products. And he instantly said, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what we need to lean in on. And I knew instantly then he understood what this whole B2B play was all about. It's about showcasing the heroes that we, that we value every single day who are making us better. It's not about us.
0: I think you mentioned the most important thing, which is like, it's not easy, but it's simple, which is like, they just need to be able to articulate what they like. And you know, I I can remember sitting down with David at Drift and Ben at Mm -hmm. Privy and saying like, I want us to look like this. I love how this company does marketing. And so I'm like, great. So if I do some slice of that and innovate on it, you'll be happy, yes. Mm -hmm. Where a lot of people get into trouble, it's like, well, but is it a numbers thing? It's totally a a feel (laughs) thing. Now, you can't just all go feel. If you just go, hey, we want to do marketing like gong. Great. And you go and redo your website and it looks like Gong, but you're not hitting the numbers that Gong is hitting, then you're not going to be able to run that out. So I'd love that as a practical piece of advice to like, if you're listening to this and you're a marketing leader or marketing person, thinking about taking a new job at any company, Mm -hmm. whether it's a CEO, whether it's a VP of marketing, director of marketing, whatever level you're looking at for a marketing job, have a conversation with that manager, with that boss Mm -hmm. about who does a good job marketing in your space. Mm -hmm. Or maybe if there's no one, who do you Watch Apple. So and so. Okay. Well, how? What do you like? Well, Apple has the best product marketing pages and they do X, Y, and Z. And Steve Jobs always wrote the headline first. And okay, great. Now we're in the so, same ballpark.
1: But when I say about Apple, for example, it's a great example. I always say, in order to win any market, in order to be a leader, you have to be the first one or the best one or the only one to do something, right? Those are the three. If you can't say one of those three words about yourself, you haven't honed your messaging enough. You think about Apple. Apple's a great example. Apple. You know what? They're never, ever first with anything, but they always talk about themselves like they're first, right? And it's a really like ninja marketing move right there. When they come out and they do their keynotes, they always say like, it's the most magical, brilliant, mind-blowing yeah, experience. Yeah. Like and, this like, is the first this one. is like <laughs> the,
0: the thinnest keyboard on earth. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. And they always like, it's like they talk about themselves like nothing else exists out there. And I, I gotta respect that. And maybe you can only do that when you reach a certain level, but there's a good lesson in there in that, you know, you don't have to be the best at something and you don't have to be the or first. You can be either, right? And they're, they're never first with anything, I don't think. Rarely are they anyway, but they're always best.
0: You can execute better. You mentioned this balance between data and humanity to change gears for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And I think from what I've seen from you, you get that. How do you operationalize that? Because I think this is where a lot of people struggle, which is like, you know, they get, I want to do marketing. Because I, I have changed my perspective on this, which is I used to be like, oh. I want to do marketing that people love and... Not, That's Mm -hmm. all great, but from an advice perspective, it can border on corny Mm -hmm. because if you're not delivering results, revenue, pipeline, you're not going to keep your job. And so one of the hardest things about being a marketing leader, especially for most people who listen to this podcast, which is like, let's say, series A, B, C, VC backed marketing, that's a hard job because you have to grow every month, every quarter, every year, (laughs) you know, you don't, you don't for it, but it's hard. It's a grind. Yeah. 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 How do you balance a short-term and long-term from a budget and planning standpoint? Like there's brand stuff that we want to do. Mm -hmm, That's not mm -hmm, necessarily mm -hmm. going to measure into pipeline verse. Like this is a campaign that we're executing on now. How do you balance that?
1: So I oftentimes think that the team operates at three levels. There's like the tactical level and the strategic level, and I would call the epic level, the 10X level. And let me explain what those are. Okay. So the tactical level is when you are swimming in a sea of data and you're just tweaking and optimizing all the time. And that is absolutely critical for any marketing team to be constantly optimizing your messaging, your channels, how you're spending your dollars and so on. Oh, I'm going to ramp up on Google and down on Facebook this month and so on, depending on what the trends we're seeing. That should all be based on the data that you're seeing and you should be ramping up and down in real time. And you need to do that if you have to, if you want to be an effective marketing machine. The second level is more of what I call the strategic level where you're thinking, okay, we're going to do a campaign, let's say on how we're going to change the future of shopping forever. And it's going to be a year long campaign and we're going to have these different themes by quarter and so on. It's hard to plan out. You got to have like a whole vision about it. strategic. But you think if you do this well, you can probably maybe move the needle 2X, 3X and so on. But it's not like something you can do singularly. You have to... You know, have to be able to pull the team together and have a long-term plan and so on. And you have data to guide you, but you also have some unknowns. There's a lot of like, you don't know what the market trend is going to be in six months, what's going to happen in the world. You don't know what keywords people are going to key up on, what things they care about and so on. So you have data, but you have some unknowns as well. Then I think when you get to that epic level, there's very little data to guide you. If there was, everybody else would be doing it. You're by nature getting into this field of like, it feels a little uncomfortable. Right. And it requires courage and bravery and so on. And here's my test because you, you asked like, well, well, how do you know? I often say, okay, when you come present an idea to me, if it doesn't make me feel slightly uncomfortable, it's probably not in the epic idea category. And by that, I mean, you know, it has to either move me and make me feel uncomfortable because I would have to go in my mind, shit, can we do this? Have I done this before? Is it, are we allowed to? Like I have to have like some yeah. reaction. So I don't give, have what, that, what's,
0: something, what's something that you remember from either Matterport or previous experience with someone like, um, what's an idea that you, you've then gone and executed on that was awesome?
1: Uh, let me think about this. So it's something that I would put into kind of the epic category is we were trying, just going back to our Matterport for iPhone launch that we did here back in May, you know, we went out and we basically marketed this for the first time as a consumer product. And when we first like talked about this, you know, we were a like hardcore B2B, we've been going selling to businesses for the longest time. And we said, okay, we're going to try to do this. And when we first started having these discussions, you know, there was a lot of like internal resistance to doing this, like used to the the tops down motion, but how are we going to actually build momentum bottoms up? Well, you do that much more like a consumer company. You got to get people really jazzed about something. And the way you do it, you don't like go out with hardcore B2B messaging. You're never going to be successful. That's not how Slack or Zoom has done it at the bottoms up level. You got to come out with something that's much more human. And so leaning into that was honestly uncomfortable because it was completely antithetical to everything we've done before. Now, it's not antithetical to what I like to do, but it was antithetical to what we have done as a company. And so there was a lot of like, is this the right messaging? Should we do this? Can it be done? Will anybody care? We're a B2B company. We did it. And in the first week alone, the first week alone, we had more signups for Matterport than within the first eight years of being in business when we launched this. Because I think it created such groundswell of like, this is something that I want to use in my personal life. So it changed the the conversation just by doing that. But it wasn't a given. It could easily have failed. And I think when you're operating in that category, in that what I call 10X or epic category, it might fail. It really might. But at least you'll look back and say, you know what, we tried. We tried something that was bold and different.
0: At what point does that stuff come up? Mm -hmm. Do you plan for that? You know, when you're sitting down in October, November, Mm -hmm. starting to work on the next year's plan, are you looking at your mix of channels and budget and team and thinking about, okay, well... 70% Seventy percent has got to go here, so we hit the number this yes, m- yes, quarter. Thirty yes. <laughs> percent is going to go here. How do you actually like operationalize that?
1: Yeah, well, so when you think about, it, so actually, we we do this a little differently. We actually have uh, a lot of it. What we do is driven by. There's two two motions really. One is we do launches, and launches are aligned to our product calendar, and then we do what I would call programs or campaigns, and those are aligned to our sales teams and what we're trying to get out in the market. And so we map everything out and we do it at a couple of different levels. So we have launches that are what I would call the epic launches. Then we have launches that are what I call the majors. So here's how we do it. We say, we're going to do one to two epic launches per year because it requires so much effort in order to do them well. So we'll only do one or two, maximum two. We can't do more than that. Majors will do a major launch every quarter and minors will do what we call these minor launches, like a partnership announcement, a customer announcement, a feature update, and so on. We'll do probably four or five per quarter of those minor things that we'll constantly keep pushing out just to keep the momentum going. So one major quarter, one epic a year, a few minors every single quarter. And so we operationalize that way. And behind each of those different notions, there's a whole playbook that goes with like, if we're saying putting something in the minor category, here are the 10 things we'll do. The major category here, the 15 things and the epic category we put this much money and this much money. We also have a budget line item for each of them. So we know exactly how much to spend and how much time to prepare yeah. for
0: it. I think a lot of people get stuck in the planning because they're like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. To me, I like this because this requires nothing from any, any other team to come up with a marketing plan, which is like, I think right. too often when people are coming up with marketing plans, they get instantly into the weeds of like this channel, that channel. We're like this, I was just scribbling notes along this. This to me is like, hey, Dave, Let's get in a room or get on Zoom. And we're just going to talk about next year. And these are our guardrails. I talked a lot about guardrails. Like, these are our guardrails for planning. Okay, so first, we need two epic launches a year. We're going to do one in January and we're going to do one in June. Okay, Mm -hmm. all right. Now we got quarterly stuff. Okay, we're going to need one in this month, one in this month, one in Now you're starting to fill out an actual plan. It doesn't have data in it yet, but then you can have something to go back to the exec team in your executive planning session or, or with the product team and say, okay, so what's the product thing going to be in January? What's the product thing going to be in June? Okay, now I know that I have these things planned through the year. Now I know the dates that I, as a marketing leader and marketing team, have to come up with things. Okay, we got nothing in Q1 product team's not going to have it. Okay. So that's when we're going to do our event. This to me is how you come up with a plan. Then you backfill it with the model and the assumptions and the... Right.
1: That's right. And plus, I think it allows you, Once you start taking that yearly view, it allows you to also suddenly start grouping things for maximum impact. One of the things I've noticed, and and, and I don't think we do it well enough at Matterport yet. And I see the same many companies have been at where the moment something is, you think it's like, we're lacking some news in the market. Let's push some more shit out there. And it's like, that's not always the best thing to do for maximum impact. How do we group things together in a way that's either by theme or yes. by product or by timing and so on to have maximum impact? You know, I, And it's I my job as a CMO to like push back on, because the product team often come and say, hey, in two weeks' time, this is going to be ready. Yeah, that doesn't mean I'm going to go out in two weeks' time from yeah. a marketing perspective.
0: No, one of my greatest skills is to take three average things and put them together into one good thing. <laughs> because it happens. It's like you're not going to always have the Matterport iPhone launch. You might have like that's right. that's the product right. team is like, we got new dashboards. And you're like, Ugh. and that's a big deal to customers and to them. But you're like, what am I going to do with this?
1: That's right. But that's if you can package example. it up
0: together, that's the creativity. Okay, we got this. And then we got this. And everyone's like, this is the number one most requested feature. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not going to drive new people in you got to be able to package it because I'm always thinking yeah. about how we're going to drive you know, pipeline and revenue. This is great. People are going to love this segment because people ask so many questions about planning and structure and this is super valuable. I also like how you just have simplified the whole world into like we have launches and we have programs or campaigns, right? Then you can just write them all down. So like, okay, we got, these are the three product launches we got this year. Our campaigns are going to be, we're going to write this industry report. We're going to do this exactly, event. Exactly. We're going to do this thing. We're going to do this thing. And then it's almost like you have one other layer there, which is like, you're always on stuff, you know, that's, that's just right. always that's happening.
1: Right. You know what? I just share with you, uh, maybe I'll sanitize it for, for Matterport confidential detail, but I'll share you the, like the, the playbook so you can see some of it, maybe you can oh, share it on Oh my God, channels, if you, you did know? that,
0: people would lose their minds and oh, yeah. send you LinkedIn messages for days. Because I bet,
1: because yeah. I bet, you know, I mean, you've been a CMO for a while now, your two most important stakeholders, of course, everybody in the company, but your two most important stakeholders are really product team and the sales team right and so those are the ones that you're constantly trying to like how do you organize around the motions because you're the ones who's representing both of them
0: yeah i think one of the things that i learned for me in the early days at drift was like we used the product to generate momentum for marketing mm-hmm. yeah. and it was like yeah. we pushed each other you know the cto would be coming to my desk like what do you want because this is when the company's like 20 people it's different right but just to illustrate this as an example What do you want? We can do it. Okay, cool. Well, what if we did something like this? Okay, let's talk. Boom. That's October, November, December. January. You just make your own momentum, especially in a new market. And so the product team is like, it's such a key piece of what Mm -hmm. you have in your marketing is, if the product team had a badass launch to give you every month, oh my, it would be so much easier. Your marketing (laughs) would be so (laughs) much easier, but that's not reality. And so the job is you got to nail it and make it better when you're given great product stuff. But when you're not, what can you do with nothing?
1: Totally, totally agree. Because I
0: I don't have sympathy for the marketing people. Like if you're listening to this and you're like, my product team doesn't give me anything. There's two mentalities I think you could have. You could have the mentality of, oh, my product team doesn't give me anything. This company sucks, which might be the case. But first, my first thing would be to try, you know what, screw them. We're going to create our own momentum. We're going to make stuff up. We're going to do our own thing. And we're going to see, because then then guess what's going to happen? They're going to want to come with you. (laughs)
1: That's right. And that's the other part of the playbook, which again, we, we, we could talk for days about this, but I call it the relaunch playbook. You know, I really uh, started using this at Salesforce when we were launching Chatter. So we launched Chatter at Dreamforce in 2009. And at that point in time, we called it the Facebook for work. It was like this big dorky thing.
0: I remember what? I was working at a company called Constant Contact. <laughs> and It was like a big deal. We got Chatter. <laughs>
1: Chatter. It's so cool. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I, was so, working, I was working in
0: PR. I was working in PR. And they were like, make sure you post all the internal news on Chatter. And like uh, three people great.
1: read it. <laughs> I said the marketing was good. I didn't say the product was I, good. <laughs> I didn't say that. The marketing was great. The marketing is good. So, so we, we got into this motion because I've always had this notion that people in Silicon Valley or maybe in tech in general, are a little deluded, they think, hey, I've got an article in TechCrunch, I'm good, I'm set for life, you know? That's just not how people digest information. So we set out from the beginning and said, okay, we wanna have a relaunch playbook. So every six weeks, we're gonna have news in the market around chatter. So we launched at Dreamforce 2009, and every six weeks or six, seven weeks, we would have news in the market around chatter. And we kept that up for about a year and a half. And I would say that the plus side was that by the end of this year and a half, Chatter was the most adopted product that we had ever put out there in the market. All our customers were using it. Whether or not some were using it as much as others, that could be debated, but people were really using it. It also set the tone for what kind of company Salesforce wanted to be. Nobody was wanted to write about a CRM system anymore. It wasn't that interesting. But this was like a social layer on top of your CRM system, which is really interesting. And you also saw just like the stock price go crazy because suddenly we were differentiating ourselves from Microsoft and Oracle and all these other companies. But the downside was really hard. It's hard for the team to constantly come up with brilliant launches every week. I mean, you know how launches are. They are tiring, right? And marketing runs on launches, right. events, and so on. But it was, I mean, after that, you could just tell there was just like a tiredness in the team. So you also got to be mindful of that, especially now with everything going on in the world, people are being overwhelmed. So you should I know, do I would love to work at a company. Like,
0: I'd love to work at a company like Zoom, which is just like Zoom <sighs> during a pandemic where pipeline just flows in and you don't really exactly. have to do much. <laughs>
1: You know, that's right. That's right. That's right. Can you imagine? Hop in, right? It's like, oh, everyone's doing virtual events. There you go. <laughs> right.
0: Yes. Uh huh.
1: Yeah. Which I'm still like, I'm still learning to, uh, to figure out what how to how to really utilize virtual events. We have we actually haven't really we've done small like webinars and so on, but we haven't done any big big virtual events. Have you not done any in the last year?
0: So at Privy, we had an event planned that was mm-hmm. going to be September, like. In January of last year, we planned January, February, March. Mm-hmm. We were going to do an event in September, and we pulled it out luckily right before no. COVID. And we haven't replicated the online event, but what we've just shifted to is really focusing on content and using it the same way. And mm-hmm. so we do something that we call masterclass, which is basically like training and education. And we've had fifteen thousand or so people go through that. The thing that I haven't That's been fair. able, that I haven't seen replicated though, because I think what's happening is virtual events are just It just it's another form of gated content right now, Mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. okay. You can do that right. Like if you're doing ABM and you invite, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 top CMOs to a Mm five-star chef cooking class on Zoom, that's gonna work.
1: Yeah. But I think
0: a lot of people are just taking like average kind of shitty content and, and making it on Zoom, and that's not gonna work. What hasn't been replicated is like the feeling of an event on to your point about product launches, Robin, like the an event is like the ultimate product launch is like because you're there That's in right. person. That's it's right. like when you launch right. chatter, you just kind of put it on the internet, right? It's like yeah, whenever, I, I, when you <laughs> feel it, it's amazing. So is that a focus for you guys in in your segment? Or even I'm just overall curious to to hear what you think about
1: yeah, I'm, I'm, I, strategy. We we are we are exploring and we have been talking a lot in the marketing team about like is this the year when we leaned into? So I think when the pandemic first hit. The technology honestly was too immature and there was too many people jumping on it and trying to do this, like basically just morphing a physical event to a digital event, eight hours of content per day. And I can just tell from everyone I've talked to, I've not met a single person, not one. And I speak to a lot of like peers who've said, I spent eight hours in a virtual event and it was awesome. Not a, not a single no. person. So yeah, right? well, so, I mean, so if,
0: if you got 10,000 people to register, you just got 10,000 email addresses. You didn't get exactly, 10,000 people exactly. who sat in your room for eight hours.
1: So I think I think there's room for innovation. I think we have seen a lot of innovation. I think Hopin, Welcome is another company I saw that were doing some really innovative things. There's a lot of innovation happening. So that gives me a lot of hope. But I also think you have to reinvent the format, like two, three hours, maybe max super interesting, interactive. I actually attended a, to your point, you know, small like session. I attended a Salesforce event that was like a wine tasting me and five other people. And they sent me a wine kit, and it was like, cool. I don't really know what they got out of it except giving me a nice wine, which was fun. But I'm like, So so that was innovative, but I don't think it scales. Maybe you do it if you're Salesforce. We're Matterport. We don't have that kind of budget, so I'm not going to do that. But I am curious. I am curious to lean into it. And this year might be the year.
0: This episode of B2B Marketing Leaders is brought to you by DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members, and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, campaign ideas, and more. I see people ask questions about hiring, team structure, ad targeting, copy feedback. It's incredible. And it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing stuff too. I feel like it's a group of people I want to be around to get better as a B2B marketer too. And because you're here listening to B2B marketing leaders, you can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. And then after that, it's 10 bucks a month. And it's super easy to expense. You could even do an annual. It's like a hundred bucks a year. Makes it really easy to send to your CFO. Flies under the radar. It's a hundred bucks. It's really easy. But there's ten to twelve new posts every single day, and you can go in there daily. And you can even go and see all the content from last year. I know that if you're in B two B marketing, you will go in there and you'll be like, "Huh, I get what Dave was talking about." I know you'll see the ROI from the community alone instantly, and even more so now that you can get in there for your first month for just a dollar. So there's a special link in the show notes of this show where you can go and sign up for a dollar. Go and check that out. Okay, we got like 15 20 minutes left. I'm going to try to wrap it up. I could talk to you for 3 hours, which we should do this <laughs> Morris is great. I want to see if you can give me like one or two line answers to these. So, okay. and we'll just get into your team a little bit. So, you mentioned you have 20 people on the team, you have five team leads. Can you just quickly break down the like how often you meet with them, what you expect to get out of those meetings, and how often you meet as a team overall?
1: Sure. So I have, uh, I'll, I'll just tell you how my team is. So I have a head of partnerships and what I would call head of partnerships and strategic marketing. I have a head of revenue marketing. I have a head of product marketing. And I have a head of comms. Brand marketing actually lives with one of my peers, the chief of design. His, his name is Dave Lippman, And it's working really well. But at first I was a little skeptical coming in, like how is brand not living under marketing? But actually, Was it works that for before the you? Seat. It was before me. Yeah, it was before me. But he has such sensibility. He came from Apple and has worked with some great companies. Like His sensibilities when it comes to design and his quality bar is so great. And of course, I'm the external of how you actually execute that. But like having somebody like him as a partner. So he manages all the design for our products and so on. But brand is under there, which I think works really well. So I have those people reporting directly to me. They are mostly in the U.S., We have probably five people in the UK now, I think. Yeah, I think that's about right. Five people in the UK. And we're scaling. We'll probably end up the year with, I think, 30 to 35 people in marketing. We're scaling pretty fast. At this point, we have quite a few openings that we're hiring for. And I meet with my directs every week. I meet with the wider team every two weeks. And one of the things that we do in those every two weeks, again, it's hard to have an interactive session when you're 20 people. So what we do is we do this a day in the life of thing. We just started it and it's working really well. I highly recommend it if you want to try this out with your team. Because a lot of times, you know, as the team has been growing a lot and changing, we said, okay, every every time somebody's going to come on and they're going to present a day in the life of what it's like to be, Joe or Susan and so talk about what they do from the moment they wake up, both their personal stuff and also their work stuff. So we get insight into how they spend their days. And we learn about their craft because I want to learn about what it's like to be to focused on digital marketing or focused on social media or focused on communications and so on. We need everybody to level up by having better insight into what each other are doing. So we're doing that. So I meet with the wider team every two weeks. So that's our cadence. And then once a month, we do more of a formal all-hands, that's a full hour, where I share things, myself and the other team members share things of programs that are coming, launches that are coming, and how we need to organize around those.
0: And what's the difference between the the full hour and then the every two weeks team meeting?
1: The half hour every two weeks is more like an informal, like we get somebody else to kind of get the spotlight a little bit. And then I give some real-time updates of kind of what I'm seeing across the team and so on. And it's more casual. It's much more casual. It's not like a formal agenda. I'll come in basically what's on top of my mind from what I'm hearing in the company.
0: Do you ever feel like you have to balance like, this is part of like the CMO job that I think you can over operationalize and over like meeting and system. And then like, on the other hand, you can have none. And like, there's this element of some people aren't always going to like those meetings, but you know that you need to do them from a team perspective, it's almost like setting goals and OKRs and doing that stuff. Like, have you come up against that feeling?
1: All the time. I run into it all the time and I'm constantly conflicted about it. But I've also just gotten to a point where, you know, we're going to have the meetings that at least I want us to have that creates information flow. And you know what? Honestly, I can tell sometimes people are engaged and sometimes they're not as engaged. And I think that's OK as well. People have a lot going on. But I think I always say this in the absence of information or in the absence of information flow, people make up their own stories. So if I don't have the meetings, people end up making up their own source about what's happening or you know how the team is doing and so on. So I don't want that to be, I don't want these little stories to pop up in the team that are, right. can be very unhealthy. I'd rather actually have them hear directly from me. I don't, oh, no, RJ, our, who's our CEO, said this in a meeting, I heard that. No, no, I'd rather have us like, share the flow right. of information. But
0: well, um, your job as the CMO is like to facilitate the communication among the team. And you kind of see... Yeah oh, you did a one-on-one with this person and you can clearly tell in that one-on-one that they're not talking to the other person who you just had a one-on-one and you're trying to like cross-pollinate and yeah. Totally,
1: Um, like I'll I'll go into a meeting with our you know, head of product and he'd be like, hey, you know, I haven't gotten an update on what, how we're doing with the launch coming out in two months. And that gives me a like signal to go talk to the product marketing team. 100%, about, hey, 100%, 100%, you know?
0: And then you'll go reach out to the product marketing person like, no, I told them. Exactly. exactly <laughs> and then you realize exactly, it's actually another exactly. communication so, issue. That, that's right. Okay, that was helpful. Let's talk about metrics. What metrics do you have as a marketing team? What mm-hmm. metrics do you have individually? And then how do you set goals? How frequently do you do that? Do you use anything mm-hmm. to do it? Blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah, we do. So as a company, we have two very top level goals that we've been measuring for a long time. Number one is revenue. And number two is what we call spaces. How many spaces are created on our platform? So those are great. Of course, within that, you know, then we think about, well, how does marketing influence revenue? How does marketing drive revenue? I always say, you know, there are three things that marketing has to do. We have to create a brand that people love. We have to drive meaningful revenue and we have to be the sales team's best friend. That's it. That's our mission. So we have metrics for each of those different things, you know, creating a brand that people love, sentiment analysis, you know, what's our NPS, what are people saying about us? You know, a lot of that, I guess, trending in the right direction, super important. When it comes to driving revenue, a lot of it's about how are our campaigns performing? How are our campaigns performing? What are we putting out there? Are we driving the right people coming into our funnel? No. I care about MQLs somewhat because it's a signal of like how our right. our campaigns perform, but it's really not important. That's not how we measure success. It's really the SQLs, and ultimately, you know, of course, the opportunities created from those SQLs, because ultimately we have a revenue target that's on market that we need to influence, and that goes up every single quarter. And you know, I can say in the last many quarters we've beaten it soundly because we've getting better at targeting, which is something we're leaning into ABM very heavily. And we're getting better at using the right channels to get our message out to the right people. So we're both verticalizing and really focusing our messaging on use cases. And we're getting better at getting those target audiences. So it's... Yeah, it's I, lo- uh, I love
0: how you started that and broke it down from working backwards from from revenue, because that is the ultimate yeah. goal. Just briefly for people listening on the SQL yeah. side the way that you said that is important because that's a true sign of alignment, which is like MQLs are an indicator, but ultimately what matters is revenue. And so SQLs matter the most because those are deals that sales team is working. How did you come up with, uh, can you just talk about the relationship between marketing and sales and how you came up with what SQLs are? Because I hear a lot of people who still have problems with how those are defined and that creates a lot of friction and that's why marketing teams report on MQLs.
1: Yes, yes. So let me start by saying, you know, I think the, if you want to have a successful business, you have to have marketing and sales in complete alignment, complete alignment. And it only happens, I think, if you have shared goals. I think if you have different goals, if marketing, if this has different goals and sales, not only is collaboration hard, it's impossible because it's, mm-hmm. it's, you're going to be chasing different things. So you have to have some shared goals. It doesn't mean that every goal is shared, but you have to have some shared goals. And SQL, I think is the most easy one to really share on. And so for us, an SQL is when the sales team accepts a lead. Like they you know, it's come in, we've qualified it. And now somebody's saying, okay, I'm going to start working it. It's not an opportunity yet, but they've accepted it. So somebody actually in sales is going to work on that opportunity.
0: That's good. Because I think a lot of marketers are like, well, I don't have control of whether they create an opportunity or not. Mm-hmm. But in this world, you're just dictating that it, it is of some quality. And, and as a marketing right. team, do you know what those criteria are of that? Is there an actual criteria that SQLs must meet or it's a sales rep can choose?
1: No, 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 there is because we we segment out, you know, we've got many different ways of, of like measuring that, you know, because we also sell to individuals. We sell it when we have a 3D camera that we sell. So we also have people coming in with Gmail address, for example, who want to buy a camera because they want to start a, a side hustle as a Matterport business. It's very different if somebody comes in with a Cushman and Wakefield or JLL email address, you know, that's going to go to a different, you know, it's following a different workflow. So yeah, we absolutely have ways of measuring that. And we're trying to optimize for self-service, depending on what we know about them. And we're trying to, of course, optimize for sales engagement if we know certain things about them. So we've segmented into three different segments, enterprise, SMB slash mid-market, and self-serve at the bottom. So those are, that's how we do it. And based on the, what we're seeing, it goes into different flows.
0: Got it. That's helpful. And how do you set goals for the team and on an individual basis?
1: Yeah. So we have company level goals, the ones I just mentioned. And of course, each person has their individual goals and we set them per quarter and we use the standard OKR method. I'll be honest, I don't love OKRs. I feel like they're good for accountability. They're horrible for driving inspiration or excitement around something, (laughs) you know, but they're good for accountability. So I will give them that. But I've never seen anybody being super jazzed about their OKRs. No, that's uh,
0: one of those examples (laughs) that I mentioned before, where you're having the meeting about OKRs with your team, (laughs) and everybody hates the meeting. But you know that as a CMO, you have to have goals, and so you you have have to to. have
1: goals because you know, especially in this, we're in this season right now of promotions and everything else, and it's nearly impossible to know who's has has done a good job if you don't hold keep people accountable as well. Totally, I wish I wish
0: people understood that and I wish I understood it when I was marketing manager, Dave, it's not that big brother wants to watch you work. It's that you need some black and white method. You need some quantifiable method of saying like, Robin is good, you know, achieve the thing that we hired him to do or not. And, Because the CFO and the people team, they don't know those things. And so you can't just be like, yeah, you know, I want to give Robin a promotion because he's awesome at what he does. Okay, but as defined by what? That's all.
1: That's That's right. And you know how it is. I mean, if I want to promote Dave, right? Marketing manager Dave. I need to know that you can perform and you can not just perform but you can crush your goals and not just crush your goals one quarter because everybody can like lean in and do it one quarter can you do it three quarters in a row four quarters in a row that's a sign to me that you're a star performer and you're ready for promotion right it's one of the signs it's not the only signs but it's certainly one of the signs so you need to be able to measure that and hold people accountable so i think you know yeah okrs are important for that i still struggle sometimes like give people that big vision that that is much more inspirational. So that's why I think if you've heard about the V2 mom from Salesforce, I think the V2 mom sure. from Salesforce is great sure. for setting a yearly vision that's inspirational, but it's not that great for accountability. The OKRs are great for accountability. Those two, if they can meet in the middle and have a baby, it'll be perfect. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, you could, you could basically make your goal. You could just do OKRs off of the company V2 mom.
1: Yeah, which is what you should do. Yeah,
0: I think so. Yeah. Robin, this is fantastic. I'm frustrated now that it took us this long to do this. But let's wrap up with some wise words. People are going to be like, you didn't ask him anything about WeWork and Adam Newman," And I'm sorry, and I would love to, but I don't care about the headlines. I want the the marketing facts. So we'll get there. Maybe in the future episode, we can do that. But just wrap up and give some uh, advice to those out there who want to become a marketing leader, become a CMO. You've had quite a great career. How do you make the next step? What do you got to do?
1: So there's a couple of things. I think you got to figure out what your path is. I think when you're starting out, I highly recommend to anyone that you try as many different of the disciplines within marketing because it's fun. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know if you like the data side, the revenue side, the program side, or the more creative side of storytelling, messaging, and so on. Try out a lot of different things. But at some point you have to specialize because you have to be known for being the best at something if you want to get to the next level. What was that
0: for you? Sorry to cut you up, but what did you specialize in?
1: Product marketing, I came up through the ranks of product marketing. I always thinking it's a simplified, there's probably many more and, and I'll probably get shot down for saying this, but I think there are really four different disciplines that you can follow. There's the revenue side, there's the product marketing side, there's the communication side, and there's the brand side. Those are kind of the four core disciplines within marketing. And I think most B2B CMOs, honestly, they come through the ranks of either revenue or product marketing. It's very rare to see a brand leader rise to the ranks of CMO. It happens. It happened at LinkedIn. And it's very rare to see a, a comms leader you know, like rise to the ranks of CMO. It can happen, but it doesn't happen very often. In, in the B2C world, it happens more often. If you see a CMO in the B2C world, they oftentimes came from the brand or the comms uh, world. So it depends, but you have to specialize. Because at some point, like they, you have to be known for something you're not known for something, then you're never going to be great at anything, right? You're not going to rise to that level where people say, hey, we want you for this skill. Now, having said that, as a CMO, I'm sure you know this. You've been a CMO now for many years. As a CMO, modern CMO, you have to understand all the disciplines. doesn't mean you're you're equally good at all of them. You can't be. It's impossible, I think. I'm not equally good at communications or revenue marketing as I am in product marketing, but I have to understand them in order to be credible with my CEO, my board, with the team and everybody else.
0: That's been the most liberating thing for me because I I used to think I gotta know all these things oh, and wow. instead what I appreciate about my experience at Drift specifically was like that was the place where I was like no you are great at storytelling creativity product marketing brand marketing like that's a superpower don't yeah, run that from that great. instead figure out how to master that and that's where you're gonna contribute the most value on an individual basis but then understand all of the functions and now you feel like you understand demand gen and sales and product marketing and comms at a level where you need to know enough to be able to hire. You need to know enough to be able to know what good looks like. You need to know enough to be able to set goals and strategy, but you don't have to be in the day-to-day piece of it. And that was that was super liberating for me because there was a while in my marketing career where I was obsessed with like I got to become the the super analytical, you know, spreadsheet <laughs> marketer and I got to learn, right, you know, I got I got to right, take right. 8 weeks Same. off and learn SQL and all that type of stuff and that's just not true.
1: And there are moments honestly as a CMO where I do feel a little uncomfortable when we're having those deep dive discussions and I'm like my eyes are glazing over because I'm like okay, Right? Of course. And that's fine. That's human. That means I I have room to grow as well. But I mean, like we've been friends for a while. I've been following you. I see you online. Your superpower is like, you're so good at simplifying the complex. Nobody can do it as good as you. And that is something that you can use in all parts of life. When you're talking to somebody, when you're selling a candidate, when you're putting new marketing programs out there, simplifying something that's complex, is very, very hard to do. People think it's easy. It's not.
0: I appreciate you saying that. And the other thing is like you have to be great at one of those things though. You don't get to be like not so great at like if you were not great at product marketing, you're not going to get the leeway on like well you got to have that thing. You got to have that thing that you're great at. But yeah, hundred percent. Nobody's like oh you know we got to have Dave in the new pricing you know model meeting. <laughs> like no, I will I will, I will right. help you I will help you tell the story about that. But uh, that's you right. Know, <laughs> let, let, let's finalize that before me. Robin, this was fantastic. I appreciate it. While I'm going to put you on the spot one cmo that i got to interview on this podcast that i haven't had on yet uh,
1: i would say uh, scott holden from thoughtspot
0: oh i met scott at a dinner a couple years mm-hmm. ago and uh, we trade linkedin messages every now and then so i'll have to reach out
1: great and i'll tell you the reason why is because you know thoughtspot is super complex It's a super complex software platform. And Scott does such an amazing job of simplifying it into something that is relevant, fun, different. And I guess my utmost respect, you know, like it's easy taking like a fun platform, Zoom, Asana and so on. I don't think it's easy, but it's easier, right? But doing it with really complex analytical software and making it resonant, very hard to do. So he's a hero in my mind. Awesome. All right, Robin,
0: I appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time. I'll talk to you soon. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you all later. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. If you got something out of this episode, then I know you'll get even more out of DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members in there right now. And it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company as a marketer. Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, on vendors. You can get campaign ideas. I've seen people post, hey, what do you think of this ad? Do you think this copy would work? Is anybody using this new tool? What do you think of this vendor? Uh, And it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing my own stuff too because it's just a community I want to be a part of. And because you're here listening to B2B Marketing Leaders, I got a special deal for you. You can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. After that, it's $10 a month, and let's be honest, it's super easy to expense at your company. It'll fly under the radar. Uh, there's 10 to 12 new posts every single day, and you can go back and see all the posts since the beginning of time. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you'll see the ROI from the community instantly, and that's why I want you to join for a dollar. I want to make it a no-brainer. So go and check it out. There's a link in the in the show notes of this episode, a special link just for you to go and join for $1.